0: Hello and welcome to the whatever this is. You know, let's not put labels on it. Hi, I'm Daniel Barnes. I am the co host of the Dare Daniel podcast, along with my good friend Corky McDonald, comedy genius Corky McDonald, by the way. And rest assured, Dare Daniel, new episodes are coming soon. How soon? Like soon, soon. Tuesday. This Tuesday, new episodes Dare Daniel Cage Match. We're going to be reviewing Nicolas Cage movies for the next few months. It's going to be a lot of fun. But this, this is something different, and this is something new. I'm going to try this out, and we'll see how it goes. This is just going to be me, your old buddy Dan, and I'm just going to be rapping at you. I'm just going to be, we're just going to be chit-chatting, and uh, I'm going to be reviewing some of these new releases that are coming out. Uh, every movie now is three hours long I do not know if you knew this this is like a new I I think this is what the new best picture rules like to to qualify you need to be a a three hour long goddamn movie holy crap everything's three hours long like Indiana Jones is three hours long what so anyway we're trying this new thing of course uh, if you've followed me for a while you know I've been a film critic for a good long while but my reviews haven't been published paid to you know, paid published since the Sacramento News and Review dropped its film section almost five years ago now. I kept it up on the blog for a little while just writing short capsule reviews, but it's kind of fallen by the wayside in the last couple of years. And honestly, it was nice to have a break from, from doing this. Um, but after a while, and this has happened before, after a while, it just feels wrong for, for me to, to not be reviewing movies. Like something's wrong uh, in the universe. I'm sure you felt it. I'm sure you felt it, like just that, mm, uh, you know that feeling where you're like, "Oh, what, something's off, and then you realize, oh, I put my shirt on backwards, right? But I'm sure you've done that lately, and like, no, my shirt's shirt's fine. What's going on? And I'm here to tell you, listen, your clothes are fine. Your clothes are fine, all right? It was just me. I wasn't reviewing new movies anymore in any form. That's what was wrong. The universe was just, it was slightly tilted. So we're going to try this new thing where it's just going to be me, Rapping at you about some of these new releases. First on the docket, it's Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer. Not the old 97 song. No, this is a biopic starring Killian Murphy as the father of the atomic bomb, J. Robert Oppenheimer. What does the J stand for, you ask? Julius, moving on. A Christopher Nolan biopic, you say. Well, that makes me think of a story. This is all this is going to be. Stories within stories. Jumping back and forth. Making no sense. Super confusing. Nolan-esque. Let's go back to the year 2002, where I met Christopher Nolan. Yes, let's go back to 2002. Young, Young Daniel Barnes. Young Danny Barnes. Little Daniel Barnes hadn't even changed it from the original Irish yet. Hi, little Daniel Barnes. Working uh, as a journalist, as a film critic on my school paper, The State Hornet, Stingers Up, Sac State, what what. And this is kind of the beginning of my career as a film critic is really starting on the school paper. I get an opportunity in uh, April or May of 2002 to go to San Francisco and interview the director Of a new film called Insomnia. It's a remake of a Swedish film, Christopher Nolan, who, of course, I knew from Memento and had gone back and seen following before that. So, this is a movie I was pretty excited about. Um, You know, this is a real like two popes situation, right? Like, we're both meeting at this great nexus in our careers, me and Christopher Nolan. Oh, it's classic Two Popes. It's so Two Popes, you guys. So, one of the questions that comes up. Uh, during this roundtable interview, which is you know, mostly San Francisco students and me, the lone Sacramento kid in the room, as it uh, often ends up being the case, one of the questions that comes up is Hey, hey, Christo, hey, no, hey, no, 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 what, 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 what you working on next? Like, what you, what you, what you pimping on? Like, what you crushing on, son? I don't think it was phrased like that. Um, almost certainly not. Um, but what was he working on at the time? He was working on. Drumroll, pre- please! A biopic, specifically a Howard Hughes biopic, starring, of course, Leo de. Eh, wrong, starring, to be starring, Jim Carrey. Yeah, Jim Carrey, and remember that's who? Huh? What? First of all, Jim Carrey looks more like Howard Hughes than Leo DiCaprio does. But second of all, this is at that weird time in Hollywood where it was like, "Oh shit, is Jim Carrey going like to win a, like, is the fucking, the guy from In Living Color going to win a fucking Oscar? You know, this is like Truman Show and Man of the Moon. No, it didn't work out. Um, and, you know, now you look at Jim Carrey's career, you say that's off the table. But guess what, man? Fucking Encino Man and Short Round from Temple of Doom just won Oscars for acting. So you know what? It's all on the table. Everything's on the table. The table's very large. It's a large table. It fits a lot. So anyway, yes, he's he's working on this biopic about Howard Hughes. Okay, and it strikes me kind of looking back, this is this is like a, a, a crucial juncture in Christopher Nolan's career. Okay, he's just made his second really major film, his first film with big stars, is Insomnia. They have three Oscar winners in the cast, but it's also the most atypical Nolan movie. It doesn't have all those things that we think of when we think of a a Christopher Nolan movie. It's 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 still it's still a good film. I, I actually like it. I haven't seen it, I don't think, since two thousand two, but I I did really like it at the time. It's a solidly made movie, but it, it really is like it's an it's a strange movie. And at this point. Batman and Inception and all those things that we think of as this is the cinema of Christopher Nolan. Interstellar and Dunkirk and on and and on and on and on. That's still being defined. You know, the Christopher Nolan aesthetic is still being written at this point. It's a hazy future. You can go in some ways and one of the ways to go is to start making like these kind of Oscar bait biopics type of movies. Okay, now that movie didn't happen. The Aviator happened directed by Martin Scorsese and starring Leo DiCaprio, and it was a big success, and everyone seems to to like it. Christopher Nolan went his own way, all right? He made, instead of that, the 20 years of movies that created Nolan the auteur, but no biopics in there. Yeah, Dunkirk, there's real people, you know, Churchill's in Dunkirk, whatever, but it's not a biopic, all right? The classic Nolan themes that we think of, that interplay between man and science and God, the time jumps, the memory jumps, this like feeling of ever ratcheting tension, just the like overall heaviness of the entire thing. That at that point was still to be defined. He could have gone one way, he went the other way. And now here we are, full circle. 20 years later, he's making his biopic. He's making a biopic about it's covering roughly the same time. It's about yet another iconoclast, another innovator in his field who pushed pushed his field who advanced things and yet was constantly in embroiled in controversy was a mass of contradictions i mean it's very very similar right the question i had coming into oppenheimer is like what is a christopher nolan biopic how nolan-y is this movie going to be is it going to be as atypical as insomnia was Or do we, is this really a Christopher Nolan film? All right, well, let's delve into it. We open with titles that mention Prometheus, (laughs) who stole fire from the gods and gave it to man and was punished for it. So right away, God, man, science. Boom, it's Nolany, okay? Like, it's that interplay of, like, man is using science to... Reach out to God to connect with God to destroy God to become God is do we see God in science? You know, is science God? Did science create God? What you know? It's that whole interplay that we're getting in in almost every Christopher Nolan movie post Insomnia. Oppenheimer, for its part, it it is three hours long and it's a it's a full three hours and it covers a lot of ground. It covers a lot of issues. It tries to pack in a lot of stuff. And it's not a perfect fit. It's not a perfect fit, but it definitely is a powerful, brilliantly designed, very well acted, gutsy experience at the movies. And it does have more Nolan-y kind of things. Those parallel tracks, there's these multiple storytellers, there's multiple storylines, there's flashbacks and visions. Within flashbacks and visions, and this is all to tell the story, of course, J. Robert Oppenheimer, the creation of the atomic bomb, its use, and the very complex aftermath and legacy that it created. So early on in the film, Oppenheimer says that the field of quantum physics, which is, is his field, it's all about paradoxes. It's all about proving the truth of something that cannot possibly be true. And obviously, I mean, you know, Nolan's not subtle. The Oppenheimer we meet here, he's a paradox. He's all paradoxes. And Nolan revels in these paradoxes. The movie is really all about these paradoxes. This whole idea of creating the atomic bomb, it's a victory... And a defeat at the same time it's a mission to save the world it's a mission to destroy the world it's the most horrible weapon of violence that will create the longest peace in in earth's history it's the best science can do it's the worst science can do and i think what's compelling about this film is that at the opening all those paradoxes all those paradoxes about quantum physics and about what could you do if you split the atom, and what could happen if this happened, and what could happen if that happened, it's all theory. It's all theory at this point. It's just a few people and theory. It's not practice. It's just theory. But because Oppenheimer possesses this amazing mind, this great scientific mind, one of the greatest scientific minds of his time, or of all time, he, he can actually visualize these abstract concepts. So when someone talks about something happening he we see it he sees it he sees it we see it we feel that beauty we feel that horror of what's trying to be accomplished and this is where nolan and hoitoven hoitema his cinematographer his team of craftspeople they really get to shine obviously the effects are astounding the art direction is astounding the cinematography is astounding the sound design is more astounding than all of it put together, maybe even. I, that's the maybe the the unsung star of this film. They say see it in the, the the largest screen you can. Listen to it on the loudest, richest sound system you can. I mean, that's the power of this film. But you go back to the paradoxes. It's not just the bomb. That's a paradox. Oppenheimer the man is a paradox. He's a paradox in his politics, in his sexual relationships, his relationship. To his work. I mean, go back to just what I said. Like, who has visions of a fiery apocalypse on the regular? Yeah, well, uh, a prophet. Oh, who else? A lunatic? Paradoxes. And and Murphy, Killian Murphy gives us a performance that captures those paradoxes. It feels both haunted and haunting. Um, you know, Murphy. Not a husky man, never a husky man, but he seems especially sallow and especially gaunt here. The, The film really plays up this sense that Oppenheimer is an angel of death and his face is seemingly stuck between this, like, orgasmic ecstasy and this this rictus this monk-like wail of horror he's, his face captures all of these uh, contradictions he's this cold clinical science but there's so much more going on and he does it justice but with his performance now biopic there's some negative connotations with that word the b word and the first third of this film and maybe the closing section of the film it's the weakest part, and it's because those biopics elements, aren't, they're, they're just clunky. They're just a little clunky. It's that usual clunky biopic kind of thing where we're condensing a life. And it it really employs that thing that I think a lot of us hate about biopics, which is that sort of bundling of these life-changing, world-shattering moments, like... All right, this amazing thing happened that completely changed your life, and then somebody ran in with a phone call or with a newspaper, or with a like, "Hey, um, Dr. Oppenheimer! Oh, you got to see this! The Nazis just did that! Oh, Dr. Oppenheimer, you got to see this! Oh, the um, you know the Pearl Harbor! Oh, Dr. Oppenheimer, you got your wife just called, she's pregnant! Oh, Dr. Oppenheimer, the Russians have the H H-M. bomb! Oh, Dr. Oppenheimer, Jackie Robinson just broke the color barrier in Major League Baseball! Oh, Dr. Oppenheimer!" Walt Disney opened Disneyland in Anaheim. It's changing theme parks forever. Oh, Dr. Oppenheimer! Woodstock just had. Okay, fuck, fuck, fuck. Okay, yes, we're constantly running in to give some more information after we've just had the most like life-shattering information that's ever happening. But again, this is the first of of this film. We're laying a lot of groundwork. We're setting a lot of tables. It's the first episode in a long season. We're 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 setting up these really weighty themes. We're setting up. Multiple storylines, multiple perspectives. People are giving these testimonies at hearings and separate eras. And we're setting up all these themes, these relationships. It's complex stuff. And I give Nolan credit, even if it still feels a little bit like he is working on theoretical ideas of human emotion. Like he's learned about it from a textbook. It's a little bit. is You know, people cry. They feel bad. Not everybody does a whole, like, hunching like shaking, shivering on the ground thing, whatever, it's fine. The midsection of this film, the meaty midsection of this film, which is uh, set largely at Los Alamos as they're um, creating the bomb and all this tension, this is the the real heart of the film. It's the best part of the film. It's why you're going to want to go see it. Unbearable tension. I mean, and if you don't like Nolan, unbearable is, is the key word. Unbearable tension. Dread dread as we slowly build up to this bomb becoming a reality, the excitement of these scientists who are realizing they're on the verge of a discovery that will change the world forever. That's the dream of a scientist. It's a new frontier. But it's also the growing realization that once you invent something and you put it out in the world, it doesn't belong to you anymore. You, You can't control it. You can't control how people will apply it. Burner phones probably seem like a great Oh, a burner fun. Well, no, well, yeah, and then the meth trade, you know. You think the Chinese guy who invented gunpowder like a thousand years ago envisioned like school shootings and automatic weapons? No, he was probably just trying to create a chemical reaction. And Largely, that's what they're doing here, and it's as they get closer and closer to it that the, the moral, the ethical, the existential ramifications of it really start to weigh heavily on them, and it's this thing where you're, Trying to accomplish this amazing thing, this astounding scientific discovery—that is uh, the most important thing that's ever going to happen that century, a pretty loaded century. At the same time, you you think, should we do this? Why are we doing this? This doesn't make any sense. This is awful. And without giving too much away, I'm I'm just going to say he, Nolan delivers. Nolan delivers on that spectacle, the power, the horror, the tension. It's everything you want from this movie. It's powerful. It's disturbing. And the aftermath of it is is just horror. Um, without exploiting the tragedy by by you know showing any any real, it, it does it in a much more like haunting uh, manner, which I think is much more effective. And then the closing section kind of slides back into those tried and true biopic tropes. Alden Aaron, what the fuck is his name? Alden Aaron yeah, it's, uh, it's a fine performance it's not his fault but he, he sort of plays the audience surrogate he's the senate aide who's interviewing who is assisting robert downey jr's character during a senate hearing where he is grilled about robert oppenheimer and he's he's the audience surrogate so he has to ask stupid questions and he has to like change his allegiances as he learns more but it's just it's 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 biopic shit you know what i mean Um, and the movie is bloated it's bloated at three hours nolan indulges in some of those those bad impulses of his it really occurred to me during this that nolan could be called a chalkboard director you know he's making these mass appeal blockbusters about really arcane and complex and difficult concepts so inevitably we get these scenes where someone flips over a chalkboard and is like here let me explain. And this here, and this here, and then this here, and then you put this here. And it's all just to spell it out for the dummies to uh, us in the audience. But the people he's speaking to in the room are like the leading experts in the field. It's like, these are the only people who know about quantum physics in the world. Like, we're dumb shits. So yeah, you got to explain it to us. Why are you explaining it to them? But my favorite example of this is Ed Harris in Apollo 13, who has to continually explain to NASA scientists like what the moon is, right? And it's all just for us dumb fucks sitting in the theater, right? Like they know what the moon is. It's like okay, we got to get these guys here from the moon all the way back here to the Earth. Oh. Oh, that I thought we were going to bring the Earth to but they're going to come to uh, that's better cuz I'm I work for fucking NASA. I'm okay. Well, anyway, so let's get to it. Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer. Here's the system we're going to use. It's a classic system. Bump it. Dump it or lump it. So what I mean by that is, you're going to bump this shit on your stereo, like you're just going to like run around like, bump it, bump it, hey, hey. You're going to dump it in the trash with all the garbage or lump it on the shelf with the rest of the mediocrities. Despite some issues, I'm going to bump it. I'm bumping Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer. It's not always the most riveting 180 minutes, but again, that powerful middle section... The premium technical and aesthetic elements of the of the film, the exceptional lead performance by Killian Murphy, and like a supporting cast to of dreams. I mean, led by Emily Blunt, Matt Damon, Florence Pugh, Robert Downey Jr. So many great small roles, so many great like one or two scene wonders. Gary Oldman goes full the Fifth Element as Harry S. Trubin, And it didn't occur to me until just this morning. I was like, oh, fuck. That's stunt casting, isn't it? They cast Churchill as Truman. Brilliant. And And then you've got Kenneth Branagh as Niels Bohr. Branagh has, he's replaced Michael Caine in Christopher Nolan's films as that sage voice. Right? Like, I half expected him to say, "Master Oppenheimer, what do we do when we fall? 18 months behind the Nazis in the race to create the atomic bomb. Spot on Michael Caine impression that, no, that was me. Yeah, no, no trickery. That was analog effects all the way. So yeah, Oppenheimer. It's not one of Nolan's best films, but there's a lot to like here. A lot to think about enough to say bump it, despite a somewhat shaky script, low lighted by what I mentioned were some clunky biopic beats. So that's what I've got for you today. Again, come back on Tuesday. Check out the new season of Dare Daniel. It's going to be so fucking good. Dare Daniel colon cage match. And it's just going to be us and it's going to be cage, just in the cage, fucking caging it up like a bunch of cagers, old-timey basketball players. And, you know, let me know. Reach out if you, if you liked this review of Oppenheimer, if you didn't like it. Again, this is something totally new. I, I haven't – this is – I've never done this. I've never just yacked for 20 or 30 minutes about a single movie by myself. Um, so <laughs> let me know if you liked it. Let me know if you didn't. Um, oh, how are you going to reach out to me? I mean, if you know me, you know, text me, hit me up. You Follow me on Facebook, Instagram. Get at me on there. Uh, If you see me in uh, IRL, you know, buy me a beer or a cocktail for the love of God. You um, you almost certainly owe me one. And uh, if none of those things apply, you know what? I just put it out there, you know? I mean, emanate it out into the universe and I'll sense it. I'll sense it and I'll come to you. I swear. I swear to God. So that's all I got. Um, you know, just, uh, stay out there and, and keep on keeping on. And, you know, when you, when you're indoors and you feel the wind on your neck and that chill goes down your spine, that's just me watching over you and whispering a Michael Kane impression in your bloody ear. I think that's my cue to leave. Cut. Print. Bye-bye.